Hi there, this is Michael Lawler and this is the We Thrive Podcast. And this week's topic is getting a good night's sleep and why it's so fundamentally important for our health. So okay, I want to discuss ways that we can improve our sleep if we think we're doing okay. And then for the insomniacs among us, I want to discuss some possible reasons why you're having trouble and to also ask about why sleep is so important to us as human beings. We really need to get good quality sleep every night. Okay, so, you know, at night we lay down and we spend a lot of money getting everything just the best and just right for bed. We get the best mattress, we have the most ergonomic pillows on the market, we have lovely Scandinavian goose down duvets, some lavender spray maybe, or drops. The heating is just at the right temperature. Um, We have designer curtains. It's a ritual for a time of the day that we spend almost a third of our lives participating in. We lie down at night mentally and physically tired. The stresses and strains from the day, they begin to dissolve. We actually look forward to sleep. You know, nobody says, oh no, here comes sleep again. We love sleep. The fact is, we are happy to sleep. We're very happy. Very happy to hit that pillow. For some, it's the only time of the day when there is that experience of happiness. But a lot of us experience poor quality sleep. And most of the time, we don't place any kind of importance to this because we don't know. Other than being tired and groggy the next day. Unfortunately, though, this is not where the problem ends. Yes, we are tired and probably exhausted the next day, but the effects are a lot far more reaching than that. I mean, I guess one way we can learn about the benefits we get from sleep is to look at sleep deprivation studies. I mean, sleep deprivation has been shown to be associated with worse performance, you know, that's obviously in your daily tasks, um, on, on anything really, but also more importantly on cognitive tasks and motor performance. Okay, it has been shown to increase depression, increase feelings of burnout, uh, it can decrease your feelings of empathy for other people and beings, and um, it leads you to increased vulnerability to infection as it really hampers the immune system. It causes weight gain and it causes decreased insulin sensitivity. And this is all in trials. And then, more importantly, at the end, we even die earlier from poor sleep quality during our lives. You know, in fact, moderate sleep deprivation has been shown to impair your motor and cognitive performance as much as the blood alcohol content of 0.1%, okay? Which is, you know, in most places, that exceeds your legal limit for driving. So it's the same thing as having a few drinks and then getting into your car and driving. Sleep deprivation has the same effect. I find that incredible, that you're actually allowed to get into your car with sleep deprivation and drive, but with alcohol in your your system, as we know, it's a no-no. But still, we get in every day, those of us who can't sleep properly, drive our cars, and we're in the same situation. It's incredible. I mean, think of the job sectors where, I guess, sleep deprivation is very common, let's say in shift workers, maybe people that work in hospitals, medical physicians, emergency first responders, etc. I mean, think of those people and the sleep deprivation. I know, we, we all don't fit into those categories, but that does not minimize the importance that healthy sleep has for us all. I mean, sleep is a major controlling factor in how our bodies function and run. And when we enter into deep sleep, our bodies begin to actually detoxify. 
So what does that mean? That means, well, we start to remove the waste products from the bodily processes that happen, you know, organically during the day. It's like a car. The engine burns the fuel to make the car run, and in turn, there's waste produced. And then what happens? Well, the exhaust system of the car removes the waste. And it's the very same with the human body, and in particular the brain also. We need to excrete our waste. Our cellular waste produced as a byproduct of our normal body metabolism needs to go. It needs to be excreted and detoxed. But it first needs to be prepared so that we can get rid of it, maybe through the bowels and the urine, early the next day. That's why you get up and you have a bowel movement and you have your first urine very early in the morning. It's to get rid of what's happened during the night as your body has detoxified its tissues and its cells and the brain and you, you get rid of it and you excrete it. And this happens when we have deep sleep and deep REM sleep. I mean, what else happens in sleep? Well, tissue growth, that is your muscle growth, um, cellular repair, when you repair your cells, and then some hormone release occurs during deep sleep. But this is why sleep is so important for teenagers who need about, they say, between um, eight and nine and a quarter hours per night in order for their growing bodies to be fully optimal. So we clear out the old cells and we make the new ones. Okay? We regenerate our bodies when we're in deep REM sleep. We prepare our bodies for the next day for many things, for appetite, for energy, for mental functioning, etc., etc. The powers of deep sleep are really, really amazing when you look at it. I mean, in the clinic, I've treated many kinds of sleep disorders over the years. Some with success, I have to say, and then some that are extremely difficult to even make a dent in. But what is slowly dawning on me is the fact that when people start to take charge of their insomnia themselves, that is, when they don't hand it over to somebody else, when they take control of it themselves, and they begin to make lasting lifestyle changes, they start to see positive changes to their sleep pattern. And that that can increase the more they stay on those lifestyle programs, and it can be long-lasting. So it's like we say in, in We Thrive, we have these four pillars or four towers of health of the mind, body, the heart, and the gut. And the people that I see, do, uh, I see doing really well in the clinic with insomnia are the ones that actually pay attention to all of those four modalities in their lives. Now, that being said, there are a couple of elephants in the room when it comes to poor sleep. And let's go through them here one by one. So the first one is alcohol. So, I mean, many people think that when they get a good night's sleep, when they drink alcohol. But this is the opposite of what actually happens. Alcohol is in a group of drugs called sedatives, okay? So it's a sedative. So you are, in fact, sedated, and you're not sleeping. You're comatose. So, you know, which means your body is not detoxifying and repairing itself, which, ironically, is exactly what you need after a lot of booze. Okay, so you're, you are, you're comatose, right? You're not sleeping, which means that you're not getting to those different uh, realms of sleep. We cycle between deep sleep and what's called REM sleep uh, a couple of times during the night. I think we, we do it maybe four times a night if we have a good sleep. So we cycle between these deep sleep phases when our brain waves are really beautiful and flowing. But when we introduce alcohol into the equation, even a small amount, that is interrupted. Okay, since alcohol can reduce REM sleep and cause um, sleep disruptions, people who drink before bed, uh, I guess they often experience these symptoms, and they feel excessively sleepy the following day. 
But the problem is, this can lead them into this vicious cycle that consists of self-medicating with alcohol in order to fall asleep. And then the next day, you consume caffeine and other stimulants during the day to stay awake. And then you use alcohol again the next night as a sedative to offset the effects of these stimulants. So you see this vicious cycle that we're in with alcohol and caffeine. And now caffeine as the other elephant in the room. Caffeine is a drug. It is a certified psychoactive substance that we all take every day. I mean, some of us enjoy it and some of us think that we can handle it. And some of us have too much. Some of us have, have too little. Caffeine is the most traded commodity on the market today next to oil. That is absolutely outstanding. So you see all the coffee shops popping up in your area? That is the reason why. It's, the most, it's one of the most traded commodities next to oil. Psychoactive drugs are substances that can alter the consciousness, your mood and thoughts of those who use them. Okay, so examples of a psychoactive drug is tobacco, alcohol, cannabis, amphetamines, ecstasy, cocaine, heroin, and then caffeine. Now, all drugs are measured in what they call half-life and quarter-life. And what that means is, it, it's the amount of time between the blood enters your, uh, sorry, a drug enters your blood. You know, how, how long does it take for half of that to be left in your system? And how long does that take for a quarter of it to be left in your system? Okay, so caffeine has a half-life of six hours. So that means if you drink caffeine at 12 o'clock, by six o'clock in the day, right, and I guess in the evening, you still have a half of the caffeine that you put in at 12. But interestingly, it has a quarter life of 12 hours, which means that if you have a coffee at 12 p.m., a quarter of it is still in your bloodstream at 12 o'clock midnight. So it's like having a quarter of an Americano just before going to bed. I mean, you wouldn't do this, would you? And we don't understand this. We think, you know, oh, it's caffeine. Yeah, you know, I can have a cup of coffee at 12 o'clock. I can have one at 3, I can have one at 5. But the results are showing and the research is showing this is the case. 12 o'clock midnight, you still have a quarter of that latte in your blood. So, I mean, no wonder we can't sleep. Caffeine is a stimulant. So it blocks our sleep-inducing chemicals in the brain. And, of course, this results in insomnia, the, ability to, the inability to sleep. So the next one is uh, our food, eating too close to bedtime. When we eat late at night, the muscles that digest and metabolize our food have to keep working when they should be resting. And this can delay our ability to fall asleep and can prevent the deep restful stage of sleep that we need to feel refreshed the next day. I mean, we've been hearing a lot about this circadian clock lately, those of us involved in, uh, in healthcare, and it indeed pushed to the forefront of the health and well-being industry in some great books, more notably Dr. Sachin Panda's book, The Circadian Code. The body has a biological clock where organ systems, hormone systems, etc., all have certain times when they are more active. This circadian clock is so important when it comes to sleep and for nine to five people, and for shift workers sleeping, when they should be eating, eating when they should be sleeping. I mean, the ancient Chinese also had a clock system related to the body uh, in traditional Chinese medicine, and this is remarkably similar in some ways and in some respects to its modern equivalent. So the Chinese clock shows that eating after 7 p.m. 
places a strain on the body as it prepares for sleep. With the energy diverted to the stomach and digestive system when it should be preparing the body to release sleep hormones. So you see the problem. When we eat late at night, we place a huge burden on the body to force all of its energy down, to break down your food, to push it through your digestive system, when really we should be making that uh, sleep hormone melatonin. Really we should be getting the body relaxed for the night, for the sleep, but what happens is we have this food that we put in, and depending what it is, it could be a big meal at 9 o'clock, Okay, it could be a takeout at the weekend at 10 o'clock, and then we're just not sleeping. We're not getting to that deep sleep. We think we're sleeping. Yeah, we hit the pillow. Yeah, we wake up. We feel kind of a modicum of relaxation and maybe uh, rest. But really, have you, have you deeply slept? And now let's talk about artificial white and artificial uh, blue light. So we have this pineal gland that's deep in the brain. Okay, It's the size of a grain of rice but it is huge in what it does in the body. Its main job is to release the sleep hormone, melatonin. Melatonin is a chemical messenger that starts the process of preparing the body for sleep. We need melatonin to be produced in sufficient quantity in order for us to sleep, full stop. So, no melatonin or low melatonin, and as if by magic, no sleep. Artificial light affects melatonin levels greatly. We want to live in summer all year round nowadays in the West, and possibly the East. We want our homes brightly lit in winter, when we should be turning down the light levels, as in nature. We want summer foods all year round, so we get blueberries from Ecuador in January, okay? So we want all of these summer foods to be available to us at all times of the year, when really we should be eating seasonally, and locally. We turn up the heating because we, we still want to wear t-shirts indoors like in the summer all year round. Well we should in fact be dressing warmer in layers and turning the heating down. We want summer 24-7, 365 days a year. This is not how nature works guys. When the pineal gland senses light we don't get our melatonin released. Smartphones and screens are a huge contributory factor here. An iPhone 7 on full brightness decreases melatonin production in your body by as much as 67% in studies. An LED lighting has a similar effect as do laptops and TVs. I mean, our houses are so bright all year round now in the winter. How can we possibly align ourselves with nature? And we are part of nature. So, I mean, think about it. You have the iPhone before you go to bed. Okay, maybe you've been on your laptop. Maybe you've been doing a little bit of work late. And then you go straight to the bed and expect to be able to sleep. You hit the pillow and you're wondering what's going on. Well, have a think about it. The melatonin that's so important hasn't been moving in your bloodstream. It gets you ready for sleep. It gets that tired feeling. It tells the body systems to shut down. The muscles begin to, you know, they begin to calm down. The nervous system begins to calm down. Everything happens when you have prepared yourself for sleep. So I'd like to finish today by offering some, some tips and advice that you can take home and put to use. If you suffer from insomnia or any other kind of poor quality sleep disorder or if you just feel that you don't feel rested in the morning. I mean, we're supposed to go to bed at night tired, really tired from your day. 
go to bed really tired from your day and then wake up in the morning and be really, really refreshed. This is the proper cycle that we're supposed to be in. So let's talk about a few things. So no eating after 7pm at night, as we said. And you can avoid spicy foods if you have a problem with sleep because they, they can act as a stimulant in the body. We need to avoid heavily processed foods and genetically modified foods because these can interrupt our hormonal balance. And as we've seen, hormones are so important to sleep. We need to avoid MSG, monosodium glutamate. It's a flavor enhancer found in a lot of Asian foods and a lot of processed foods. This can have a real disruptive influence on the hormones in the body and thus sleep. Okay, so we can reset our circadian clocks. Well, how do we do this? Well, if we get outside of our house or apartment, wherever we live, as soon as we can after we wake up, just get out in the light. doesn't matter if it's winter or summer, even if it's five minutes. This resets your circadian clock. It's just like rebooting your modem at home when you can't get an internet connection. Getting out early in the daylight and having the sun, or, or whatever it is, even, even any kind of white light. I know we have a lot of grey clouds in Ireland, but still, it matters that the, that the, the iris sees this light, which is then transmitted to your pineal gland, which then sets the circadian clock in your body. So I guess if you're having tea or coffee in the morning or something, a piece of toast, go outside. Have it outside, just for the five minutes. You really see the benefits because it sets the clock on when to start. When you have a timer, you have to start setting the clock, otherwise the timer won't work. It's the very, very same in the body. You need to prime it and time it and get it ready by getting out in that morning sunshine or morning uh, light, whatever it is, first thing in the morning. Now, the second thing is don't burn the midnight oil on your PC or your laptop. Your work will wait, guys. Your inbox tray will be full when you're dead. You'll always have something to do. So you need to make a break. You need to make a lifestyle change. You need to get off this hamster wheel that we're on. Okay? And we never get off to smell the roses or look at what we're doing. We need to get off. The work will be there in the morning. Okay? It's always going to be there. Don't burn the midnight oil. Okay? Leave the work. So Because the PC light and your laptop light or the TV light will decrease your melatonin. But also, you'll be wired from the working. You won't have prepared that sleep regime. Now, let's talk about having a good sleep-preparing regime. We really need to wind down and prepare for sleep. Don't just jump into the bed. Okay, I don't know, maybe have something like a, have a bath before you go to bed, if you can, a couple of nights a week. Have a shower, which really calms down the nervous system and grounds the body. Gets rid of some of the EMF frequencies that we've accumulated during the day. We ground when we get into, when we get into water because it's connected to the ground through uh, pipe work and everything else. Um, so have a good sleep preparation regime. Wind down. Read a book. Stay away from the television if you can an hour before bed. Read your book. Calm down. Have some nice scent in your bedroom and have that sleep preparation regime. Okay. Now, avoid caffeine after 12 p.m. midday. This is what we said. I mean, some of us can get away with it, okay? But for people that are having sleep issues, let's try this. Stop the caffeine after 12 p.m. midday. And that includes tea. Look, I know tea has a slower caffeine release in the system than, um, than coffee, but you really want to tick all the boxes to make sure that it's not contributing to your poor night's sleep. So we need to avoid alcohol after 5 p.m., guys, if we have sleep problems, you know, a couple of nights of the week, maybe every night of the week. We'll have a talk about alcohol in a later podcast. Don't bring your phone or laptop into your bedroom. Charge them downstairs. This is a big mistake a lot of us make. Because what's happening is, when, when we charge our phone 
in our bed or bring our laptop, um, we're drawing in the Wi-Fi signal into the bedroom. Now, there are studies done on this, and some studies will say that your Wi-Fi signal has nothing to do with uh, how your brain functions. Well, there are studies out there that shows that it does. Okay, So when you bring an electromagnetic frequency in, when you call it into the bedroom, it will disrupt your, your mental cycle. Charge your phones downstairs, guys. Don't bring them into the bedroom. Turn down the brightness on your smartphone if you are using it a couple of hours before bed. I mean, the newer smartphones have this automatically. It's very good. As I said earlier, the iPhone 7 um, decreases on full uh, brightness, decreases your melatonin production by 67%. But interestingly, in the same study, when they turned the brightness down to 1%, they saw a reduction in melatonin of only 5%. So turn down, really turn down the, uh, the brightness at night. I mean, there's a whole uh, industry around glasses, uh, blue light blocking and white, white light blocking glasses um, in the world right now. In particular, in Japan, they've been doing it for decades. They know and they understand the importance of a good night's sleep. So they have these glasses that they wear at night time, which block the effect of the light from your screens and from your computers and TVs and from phones. So it doesn't impact on the melatonin production in the body. Okay. Now, we could have a 20-minute nap during the day. New research shows that it can be a positive impact on your night's sleep. I mean, a short nap during the day is one way to repay your sleep debt. Let's for, for example, if you had a sleep debt from the week, let's say of two hours, and you take a Saturday afternoon nap, it's, it's possible to repay this debt in one nap. But be careful, now, be careful guys, not to sleep too long. Sleep time is a function of your circadian clock and how many hours you are awake during the day. A long afternoon nap, that'll get rid of some of the sleep pressure that was building up since morning. But the longer you sleep in the afternoon, you just might push your nighttime sleep into crisis, making it difficult for you to fall asleep when you want later on at night. I guess the only times when napping really works against you are when you are jet-lagged. If you're, tr if you're a true shift worker and you want to sleep at night, or if you're really trying to move your bedtime to earlier in the evening. In these instances, it's better to build up your, uh, your sleep at night and then reset your clock the next morning. So remember, naps can be useful if you do them properly. And just lastly, guys, for insomniacs among us, I mean, I've had a lot of people in the clinic, and it's a real problem, but they've locked on to the insomnia. It becomes them, okay? So they're not a person anymore. They're a person with insomnia. And really, you know, from a mental, emotional level, we need to give up the ghost. Don't create the monster by constantly uh, keeping our attention on our, our problems and by calling ourselves insomniacs or we don't sleep. Just lose that, lose that narrative. Um, don't create the monster. Okay? Just work on it uh, and don't keep referring to yourself as an insomniac. You know, maybe you could consider there's this notion of the polyphasic approach to sleep. So, I mean, if you feel rested at 5 a.m. in the morning and you wake up, or if you feel rested at 4 a.m., well, then get up. If it's not impacting you, get up. Okay, maybe, maybe this is the time you should get up. And then maybe later you'll feel tired and catch a nap then. There's a whole science behind polyphasic sleeping. We've never actually, uh, I guess, not never, but in the past, through evolution, we haven't really had one sleep cycle uh, to do us for the day. We've slept in, in, in patterns, polyphasic. So we have sleep for a couple of hours, we work again, we uh, sleep again, 
we'd work again. It's only lately, in the last century or so, we've actually adopted this uh, idea of an eight-hour sleep and getting a good eight-hour sleep. For some people, this is just not, it's, it's not natural to them. They wake at four, they wake at 5 a.m., well then get up. Now, I believe that adopting some of these practices, that by adopting them, we can have a real impact on the quality of our sleep. Uh, which, as we have seen, you know, it's so integral to the way we live our lives and how we function. We really, really underestimate this. How we function mentally and physically really depends on this, and how we age gracefully. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week. I hope you've learned something new that you didn't consider about your sleep before, and I really hope you take some of the advice on board if you're having any issues. So thanks and join me next week when we'll continue with more discussion on how to live well, live happy and live long.